I have all these doubts every time I start a new project. I ask, what the hell am I doing here? Why am I working with this group? What, what an insane idea. That's Susie Tanner, a theater director and good troublemaker who, when it comes to the way we sometimes treat workers and immigrants and the incarcerated in this country, is disturbed. In fact, enough to make something out of it. I always liken it to when you're making bread. And there is a time when you're kneading the dough and it's really gooey and it's not happening. The gluten isn't coming together. And then suddenly you've kneaded it long enough and it starts forming this nice elastic ball. I understand what goes into creating a piece of theater. I I understand why I want to do this, sort of. But I don't know how I'm going to get there at all, except that I have all these tools that I will pull out of my back pocket at any given time. And then I am just beginning to pick the ingredients out of the cupboard, ready to start mixing the dough. Using this bread baking metaphor, Susie Tanner explains the creative process she used in the early days of the theater workers workshop to draw out the memories and emotions of steelworkers and shipbuilders to mold a play. Her talk of assembling the tools of the trade and kneading and forming dough is striking, not only for its matter-of-fact language, but for the subtle issues and attitudes that lie behind the words. Tanner has worked all her life to knead and meld her artistic work, economic needs, and political beliefs. This depth of experience and commitment shows in both the story she shares and the extraordinary work she and her creative partners have brought to the stage. This is Change the Story, Change the World. My name is Bill Cleveland. Part one, theater workers. Susie Tanner grew up in Los Angeles during the 1950s, a tumultuous time of rabid anti-communism, the Hollywood Ten, and blacklisting. Although they weren't directly employed in the industry, her politically progressive parents were friendly with Hollywood actors, writers, and directors. In this milieu, social activism and the arts were joined at the hip as Tanner saw so many creative people fighting for their reputations and livelihoods during the McCarthy witch hunts aimed at stamping out communism in the influential Hollywood community. As she grew older, childhood ballet and drama classes evolved into grown-up jobs as an actress and teacher in workshops such as those given by Living Stage Theater in Washington, D.C., where she worked with young people teaching movement, improvisation, and other stage techniques. I was young and um, passionate, and the company was my heart and my soul. And Bob Alexander was my mentor. And he's actually been the inspiration for hundreds and hundreds of actors all over the country. And Bob trained us not only to be improvisational theater actors, but also to be teaching artists. And that's really the first time that I ever had an experience being a teaching artist. That's everything that I do now in my life and that I have done over the years stems from my training from Living Stage. The connection between social activism and art making was strengthened as she began to take on more projects with political overtones. While in D.C., she became involved with the Nuclear Freeze Campaign, creating an anti-nuke play and later serving as a liaison between the Freeze Campaign and the Stage Actors Guild. 
During this time, Tanner kept trying to resolve the same old problem that artists have always had to face. Not kneading the dough, but kneading the dough. It seemed that all the lucrative jobs were short on artistic innovation or social commitment, and the interesting gigs were just short of funds. After visiting East Germany with an artist delegation in 1982, however, Tanner returned to the United States determined to find a way to combine her artistic life and her political beliefs in a way that would provide a living wage. Here was a country where there were people doing the kind of art that I loved. You know, making political statements, doing Brecht, doing interesting theater, and getting paid for it. A lot of problems, a lot of things about it that somebody wouldn't like, but I saw what was possible. That there is a way to have a vital, healthy, active cultural life supported by the state, and still there were people doing interesting things, doing what they wanted to do. So I came back with this renewed commitment to making my life mean something that I was going to find a way to get out of this morass of having to be schizophrenic, like having to be political on one side and fight to do Neil Simon comedy, which I didn't even want to do, on the other. East Germany was a watershed experience for Tanner. Back in the state, she strengthened her ties with the Nuclear Freeze Campaign and the Screen Actors Guild, and through her union connections, met several workers from the Bethlehem Steel Mill in Vernon, California. In the early 1980s, more than 300 factories closed in Los Angeles County alone, including this mill. At the height of its productivity, three shifts a day turned out wire, bolts, concrete, reinforcing bars, auto parts, and special steel used in making bombs. Because of this, the mill had been tremendously profitable at the time of the war in Vietnam, but... Competition from imports and a lack of modernization combined to put it out of business. When this happened, around 2,000 workers lost their jobs, including many who had put in 20 or 30 years and were forced into early retirement. As she got to know these people, visiting them at their union hall, helping out at their food bank, and dating one of the former steel workers, Frank, who she would later marry, Tanner realized that their story was important and dramatic. It was the perfect vehicle for an idea she'd been nurturing, a labor theater made up of actors that were real working people performing plays they had developed themselves, building on their own experience. This idea came to life when a friend gave her a copy of a California Arts Council grant application. At the time, I was co-leading a writing workshop at California Institution for Men in Chino, the prison under the auspices of L.A. Theater Works. And I loved the prison work. And I was co-teaching this writing workshop with a very well-known poet, Manasar Gamboa. I had been introduced to him by Luis Rodriguez. So L.A. Theater Works called us in to talk to us about what was working, what could be improved, because they were writing their new grant. And I sat there and I I didn't realize that I could write a grant myself. I'd never written a grant in my life. Um, And I decided to write a California Arts Council Artists in Communities grant to work with these unemployed steelworkers. 
Tanner hammered out a proposal, lined up support from her local assemblywoman's office, gathered documentation, and persuaded the head of the Steelworkers Union Food Bank to be the nonprofit sponsor of the project, all in the four days before the grant proposal was due. Part 2. Lady Beth. In June of 1984, the California Arts Council approved the proposal for $10,000 to be matched by funds from the Steelworkers Alzheimer's Foundation. The mill had closed down for good, but the theater workers project was officially open for business. The first workshop, the first guy there was a guy named Monty. He always wore a beret. He was really the original member, and he was sort of the grandfather of the local and had worked there for, I don't remember how many years, 30-something years since he was a kid. And I told him what I was going to do. He didn't understand a thing that I was saying, but he said, I'll help you. He was actually one of the few people in the workshop group who had seen a play. So he kind of got it. But he didn't really get it. But he said, Susan, I'll help you. Susan's success as a grant writer, something she'd never imagined herself ever doing, left her both exhilarated and in a state of semi-shock. So again, that sense of panic. When, when I started with an unknown quantity, and, and I just had to pull all these tools out of my back pocket, as I said, and I had to see what can be made of it. So it was the first day of the workshops for the former steel workers, and Monty and three other men showed up. I came in there with this stack of books, Bertolt Brecht, Shakespeare, all these poets. My idea is I'm going to introduce these guys to the poems and stories and plays And I'm going to let them know that there are great writers in the world who wrote about everyday subjects. In short order, Susan found that the men didn't need that kind of encouragement. After a few questions, they began to talk about their experiences. And she realized again that not only were their stories gripping, but that the men were speaking in poetic terms. The Bethlehem steel mill, which was closing and soon to be torn down, was Lady Beth. They spoke of it as if it were their mother or their lover, and it was dying. A few weeks later, the group attended the last auction together, which was like a funeral. Who's got a dollar? Quickly! Oh, one dollar! Who's got a fucking a two-dollar bid? All through a two-dollar! Then came back and wrote about it. They went and watched the mill being torn down and wrote poems about it. The pouring out of emotion and the telling of stories about the hard work in the better days became a grieving process. But this was not a group of professional actors or eager young writers with stage training and long resumes. This was a group of guys, mostly in their 60s, some in their late 50s or 40s. And most of their bodies were just like a wreck. And I found that my tools of movement and improvisational techniques had to be custom fitted. It wasn't like a typical workshop where you could come in and say, okay, everybody, take your shoes off, lie on the floor. Sensitive to the insecurities of a group of men who had rarely, if ever, been to a play, let alone written or acted in one, Tanner started slowly. 
First, the men told stories about their years as steel workers, fed by visits to the mill site. After a month of just talk, they moved on to writing down some of those oral histories. The first writing workshop coincided with a visit from Bruce Springsteen, who planned to sit in on the session and lend some moral support to the project. Tanner played a Springsteen song, Downbound Train, to help explain how sometimes writers attached human emotions or attributes to an inanimate object in their telling of a story. Then she handed out fill-in-the-blank forms where each man had to describe himself as a tool or a machine. Nobody had figured out what I was doing. I really didn't know either, but I made it up as I went along, and it worked. One man said that he was a crane, multicolored, rusty dust, huge, powerful. Another described himself as a human machine, brown and satisfied. Springsteen imagined himself as a silver metal flight guitar surrounded by crowds and hysterical women. In some way, Springsteen's participation in the workshop spurred and validated the men's own creative efforts. After this auspicious start, the writing grew in sophistication and power. Over a period of months, the collaboration finally produced enough dramatic material to begin to form it into a play. Tanner strongly believed, though, that it wasn't enough to just show a work with a worthy message. She felt that the play should be as polished and professional as any piece produced through more conventional channels. So my idea is to get their stories, find out where they come from, who they are, what they believe in, what they want with their life, what they are afraid of, what they hope for, and then take all this material and have our playwright give it a form and a structure. And then the ultimate goal is for them to perform the piece that's created out of their content and their words structured by a professional playwright. But the first attempt by an outside playwright to synthesize the material was a disaster. The resulting play was too set denying the negative and dark side of the material and romanticizing the mill. It was this ridiculous fantasy about what they would have done to stop the plant from closing. It was a flat-out terrible play. Looking back, Tanner believes that the process of writing the play and its various drafts truly mirrored the stages of mourning. After seeing the denial and romanticism in the first effort, Tanner herself fashioned the next draft, which turned into a funeral dirge for Lady Beth. It was about going to the auction and watching the mill being torn down. It had a lot of interesting statistics and images that were eventually incorporated into the piece, but Tanner says that it had only one note. It was morose. It was, why me? Together, the group realized that the play, as it stood, had not progressed through the entire spectrum of grieving. After a while, they found another playwright, Rob Sullivan, who was able to create a final version of their work, one that incorporated the history of the mill and the personal stories of the steelworkers, described its closure, voiced the men's grief, and finally forged an acceptance of their loss. Their message was as simple as it was direct. 
They wanted the audience to know that at one time they and their mill had been proud and productive and that they had built this country and that they had been thrown out and forgotten. Here's how it began. I can't remember when this town was made of steel. Oh, this town. This is the story of six men from the Bethlehem Steel Plant in Vernon, California. Tony C. Garcia, threader and dice setter in the bolt shop for 35 years. Badge number 798-160. Lloyd R. Andrus, head packer, checker, telecontrol man, and burner in the 10-inch mill. For 19 years, badge number 632-151. Hermes Spice, boat maker operator for 33 years. Badge number 798-41. Richard Carter, crane operator and floor man, electric furnace for 24 years. Badge number 541-129. Frank Curtis, pullover man on the hotbed of the 10-inch mill for two years. Bath number 632-64. Cruz Montemayor, pit boss in the electric furnace department for 37 years. My payroll badge number was 541-193. Each man has his own story. Where he came from, how he got to where he was going, who he was with, and why he was doing what he was doing. Each man has his own story. In March of 1986, these six men and Tanner as narrator shared the story of their long love affair with their lady Beth on the stage of L.A.'s Ensemble Studio Theater with music by John Coyneman and Bruce Springsteen's My Hometown. It was a story that had germinated in the soil of America's post-war promise. When I started working, my wife and I were living in Dominguez Hills. I used to get on that bus at 7.30 p.m., transfer three times so I could make it to the plant for the midnight turn. Like I said, this was in 46, and we were making 75 cents an hour. It was up to $2.10 an hour, and I started working there in 1961. Got to nine by the time I started working at Bethlehem in 78, and you earned every dollar of it. It was a story of long hours, heat, Soaking sweat and grit. The place was so dangerous, you could get killed just working there. I was working in the 10-inch mill, and the steel would come whipping around red hot inside this cave. And I mean, this stuff was hot. If it were to touch your boot, they would ignite. I remember the smoke, Frank. I would be up there operating my crane. I couldn't even see the floor. So I would just get down. The foreman would come over and ask me what was wrong. I looked at him through all this smoke like he had to be crazy. I said, if you want to do it, you do it. Me, I'm not killing anybody today. Not to mention how ungodly hot it was in there. Within five minutes of being in that place, you'd be soaked. Sweat running all the way down to your boot. 150, 180 degrees in there. But you'd get used to it. Bullshit, Frank. You'd never get used to it. Yeah, well, what I mean is, you'd never get used to it. But you gotta get used to it. Because that's the job. A story of brotherhood and solidarity. No longer will you hear the mighty roar of the electric furnaces as they were clearing their throats. Prior to spitting out the hot steel, they made this country great. What was used to be the bread and butter for 2,000 men and women. A story of pride and betrayal. I had lots of guys ask me, when is the plan going to reopen, Lloyd? Or chief? That's what they called me. My answer would be never, and the faces would drop. 
Never has the sound of silence been more disturbing. Never has leisure created such impatience. Never has the need to labor been so intense. Damn this devil! Damn this devil! That has put me into this straitjacket of unemployment. We all shook hands as if to say so long but not goodbye. But yet, it was goodbye to some of us. For we will no longer see each other these last few years we have to live. Lady Beth. Lady Beth. After its inaugural run at the Ensemble Theater, Susan and her steelworker fellow travelers were shocked to find that Lady Beth was more than just a sad and fading memory. She was also a hit. This unexpected success inspired the theater worker team to consider an even more audacious next act, a national tour to communities around the country where other steel mills had closed down. Once more, the group turned for help to Bruce Springsteen, who put up the money for a 16-city trip, which included a performance in Asbury Park, New Jersey, his hometown. Thank you all for coming down and showing your interest and showing your support for the Theater Workers Project for the Hometowns Against Shutdowns. I know in my life that my job is the most important thing and my family that I can think of. And so all I'm saying is that these people should not be forgotten. As you can imagine, Susan Tanner and the theater workers team were very appreciative. Besides donating money, which is great and which is extremely generous, he's given a piece of himself to this project, and we love him for it. A high point of this national tour was a stop in Washington, D.C., sponsored by Massachusetts Congressman Silvio Conte, to coincide with a push to pass measures requiring advance notice of layoffs and the allocation of funds to retrain workers when factories close. It'll really move people. Uh, it, it, it shows uh, how uh, inhumane it is uh, with these plant closing, throwing people out in the street without any notice whatsoever. The project had other sponsors and supporters who, if not as high profile as Springsteen and the Capitol Hill legislators, were equally fervent. One, David Foster, was an officer in the Steelworkers Union and secretary-treasurer of the St. Paul AFL-CIO. Having learned about the workshops through a radio program, Foster contacted Susan. He'd been running a program for dislocated steelworkers in his state and knew intimately the sense of helplessness and loss of dignity that widespread unemployment had produced among his friends and constituents. So, he decided. So what if nobody believes that union members would never go to a play? He would schedule a performance of Lady Beth at the state convention of the Minnesota AFL-CIO in front of 1,000 union delegates. Here's Lady Beth's steelworker actor Frank Curtis describing the importance of bringing their story to a wider audience. You say, oh, you think that's a beautiful building and it says maybe Bank of America. Who made that? A kid would say, oh, Bank of America. They're just a total, you know, ignorance about who really makes things. And it's taken for granted. I mean, the average person takes for granted that you go down, you buy a car, and you drive it. You forget that there were assembly workers making that car. 
You drive over a bridge and you forget that there were iron workers making that bridge. And the sense of, you know, the sense of some form of patriotism for your own immediate countrymen and women with just that recognition that, you know, all these plants are closing down. All these people have been put out of Probably work. the bottom line of the whole project is to bring into focus these men's stories and to legitimize them as, as vital, important pieces of, uh, of, of our history. That has put me into this straitjacket of unemployment. We went together for 23 years. Sometimes I'd see you on the weekends and the holidays. And we never had an argument till December 9th, 1982. But that's when you told me to leave. Well, I don't know what happened, but if it's something I said or done wrong, but I'm really sorry. Well, it feels so good to be with you one more time. Well, I'm so proud of you. And you're still beautiful, Bethlehem. Lady Beth began as a story of a particular group of unemployed steel workers. But as Tanner worked through the months of its production, it became the story of her life as well. In the agony of a former breadwinner faced with unemployment's indignity, she found a parallel for the artist's struggle to keep the dollars coming in, feeling alone and expendable, worrying about the quality and worth of the work itself, and finally, finding validation and pride in having created a valuable and enduring partnership with an important story to tell. That's it for this episode of Change the Story, Change the World. If you like the historic theater worker story we just shared, please tune in in a week or so for a bonus episode where Susie Tanner takes her theater work into the complicated world of citizens who have returned to life on Earth after incarceration. Change the Story, Change the World is a production of the Center for the Study of Art and Community. It's written and hosted by me, Bill Cleveland. Our theme and soundscape are by the stupendously talented Judy Munson. Our text editing is by Andre Nebe. Our sound effects come from freesound.com, and our inspiration rises up from the spectral and lurking presence of Ook 235. If you have any comments to share or suggestions for guests, drop us a line at csac at artandcommunity.com. Until next time, stay well, do good, and spread the good word.